0: Thank you very much. We're going to look today at um, how to be brave, how to be brave. And we're going to look at a story about uh, Gideon in the Old Testament in Judges 6. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbeazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I want to talk today about how to be brave. How to be brave. You cannot do all that you are called to do with your one precious life unless you are prepared to be brave some of the things we most long to see happen we would love to initiate or create or begin or lead lie just outside of our comfort zone it's going to take a step of faith it's going to take some risks for us to get there and that's true in the workplace with all the challenges and opportunities that might come our way in any given week month or year also true in relationships in our family maybe in our friendships maybe in Uh, romantic relationships you know maybe you're here and there's a relationship you'd really love uh, to begin or a proposal you might like to make but it's going to take a bit of bravery to do it and Gideon is uh, a fascinating character we're looking at imperfect heroes and Gideon is someone who is really relatable who wrestles with fear and doubt and insecurity, questions whether he's even the right person for the job. And yet, he's called by God to do great things and leads God's people into freedom. So we're going to see what we can learn from this passage. And the first thing we see is that your perspective matters far more than your circumstances. Your perspective matters far more than your circumstances. Perspective is powerful. It's the lens by which you interpret the things that happen to you. And not everyone has the same perspective. I've got to be honest with you, I'm a bit of a tigger. So I'm not like a glass half full person or a glass half empty person. I'm just a glass full person, like all the time. I'm really excited about life and what's happening. And I think my daughters have picked this up. I was speaking to one of my daughters a couple of weeks ago, and she started saying to me, when are we going to go on the amazing holiday? And I was like, what's the amazing holiday? She said, the one where we, 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 we live in a shed. I was, like, I was like, what? And when we go to focus, we actually stay in a garden shed. It's like... You know you don't have to but you know one day we're hoping to get promoted to a tent but for the time being we're living in a garden shed. Beck's like I love it when we live in the shed you know I was like oh that's interesting what else do you like? She was like oh um I love I love that we get to eat outside. I was like oh what else do you love about focus? She was like I love that you get to go to the loo outside (laughs) and I was thinking like all these things. I mean, I love focus. one of my favorite weeks of the year, but they're all things I would describe as like inconveniences. But for her, they're the very thing that makes the adventure so exciting and wonderful. We get to be outside. It's so exciting. But it's interesting. I was thinking after that conversation, I was thinking, isn't it fascinating? You know, if you insulate your life from all risk and inconvenience, you could up, end up insulating your life from all joy and blessing. Perspective is powerful and here God's people are oppressed by foreign armies which are raiding them regularly taking all their harvest they're not living in captivity but they're far from free this is supposed to be the promised land but it doesn't feel like it and Gideon is threshing wheat in a in a in a wine press, most likely in a cave. He's supposed to do it on high ground so that the wind can blow away the chaff, but he's doing it hidden away, so that no one will steal what he's got. And in that moment, the angel of the Lord, which in the Old Testament is, is a way of describing God Himself, most like the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Jesus. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, well, pardon me, my Lord, but if the the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, Gideon has heard the stories. He he knows it's possible for God to move in power, but he's looked at his circumstances and concludes it's never going to happen. The the odds are too great. God's abandoned us. There's no reason to be brave. He assumes God's far away. The circumstances can't change. He started to view God in light of his circumstances rather than viewing his circumstances in the light of God's promises. And I was going through a season at work where I, I got really frustrated, if I'm honest. It just felt like Now of all the people I was working with, there was no one else who was a Christian. It's not here at HTB. It was before (laughs) before when I worked as a lawyer. And um, I felt like I was on my own. And I felt like also there was this subtle pressure that was kind of pushing my faith into a secret place, into a really private place. I found it really hard to talk openly about my faith in the workplace. And it frustrated me so much that I'll go on a course. So I went on this course, which was supposed to, you know, look at rational arguments of faith and give you confidence to speak about your faith. And I was really praying that God would make a difference. And then on the Monday morning, straight after that course, I actually had the first meeting in a really big new case. And I was working with a very senior eminent barrister who I'd never met before, never worked with before. She was at the top of her game. She was a QC. And I had this meeting with her first thing on the Monday morning. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll get into work early, I'll prepare, and then I'll go and hopefully make a good first impression. And as I was walking into my office, I saw another senior colleague. And he said, oh, Steve, how was your weekend? And I said, oh, yeah, it was good, thanks. He said, what did you get up to? And I said, oh, I went on a course. He said, what kind of course? And I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> I said, "Oh, um, uh, well, it's, it was like a course looking at, you know, rash, rational arguments for faith to give you, you know, confidence to speak about your faith." And, um, and he said, "Oh, that's interesting. Can I ask you a question?" I was like, "Now, nah, nah, nah. like I was like, "Okay." He said, um, "He said, do you believe the resurrection happened, like the resurrection of Jesus?" And I was like, "Yes." And he said, oh, "And do you think that you're going to be resurrected?" And I was like, Yes. And he said, oh, and what do you think it will be like? Will it be like, like, like bodily, like physical, or will it be like more of a spiritual thing? And you think like you'll, you'll I mean, just taking this example, will you, will you recognize people you've known when you live, like your wife, will you recognize your wife? I was standing thinking, 7.30 in the morning? <laughs> On a Monday, I haven't even had a coffee yet and I'm being cross-examined by one of the leading criminal barristers of his generation about the nature of the resurrection. I was like, God, this is not what I had in mind. Anyway, this conversation just develops and develops and develops, and I get so carried away. I'm kind of, I kind of lose track of time. I suddenly look, at watch. I'm like, I'm late for the meeting with this QC, I'm like, this is a nightmare. So I say, I'm so sorry, I've got to rush. I rush off, I get there as quickly as I can, but I'm 15 minutes late. That's my first impression. I'm 15 minutes late, I come into the room, I say, I'm so, so sorry, I'm so, so sorry, so, so sorry, I'm late, She was like, I oh, don't worry about it. I said, yeah, I got stuck talking to a colleague. She was like, oh, what were you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh, um, oh well, you know, we, I, I, I did this course. What kind of a course? Oh, well, well, you know, it was just looking at kind of, you know, rational arguments for faith. She says, oh, that's interesting. She said, I, um, I actually grew up in, in, in a religious context, but it hasn't been part of my life for many years. She was like, well, tell me about some of the arguments that you looked at. I was thinking, I time I've ever met her. I had a plan. You know, the the plan is establish my kind of capability and my ability, you know, that I'm actually quite good at my job. Then she wouldn't knew I wasn't a complete muppet. And then after I've worked with her for maybe a year, I could say over coffee one morning when she asked what I did on Sunday, I went to church. (laughs) She's like three minutes into our first meeting. I was thinking, Lord, what are you playing at? And I felt the Lord kind of whispered to me, You prayed. (laughs) I'm just answering your prayer. If you want to make a difference, if you want to be a bit more open about your faith, it's going to need you to be a little bit more brave to take a few more risks and to maybe feel a bit uncomfortable. See, it's really interesting here. Gideon longs for things to be different. He says God's abandoned his people, but God says, I'm right here speaking to you. Gideon says, where are the wonders? God says, that's why I'm right here speaking to you. You know, of all of my people i have come to you, you just wait. It's all going to kick off. Gideon sees his circumstances as an obstacle to God moving in power. Actually, they're the very reason God will move in power. He talks about the wonders in Egypt. You know, God moved powerfully in Egypt, but not in a time of peace and prosperity, but during a time of challenge and captivity. The condition for God drawing closer, moving in power seems to be challenging circumstances. It's not an obstacle to God moving. The challenging circumstances in your life might be the very reason he moves in power. When you reframe your circumstances, it gives you courage and makes you brave in the face of overwhelming odds. I mean, look at our city. London, city of 8.7 million people. 8.1 million people don't go to church. You could say, oh, it's a really difficult place to be a Christian. There aren't many Christians in this city. You know All the forces of secularization, the forces of modernity and post-modernity, the forces of consumerization, the idols of success and work, it's just a really difficult place to be a Christian. Poor me. Or you could say, actually... There are millions of people in this city made in the image of God and nine out of ten of them have a deep need to encounter Jesus Christ. I have a limitless opportunity to bear witness to him through my life and through my words as I live in this city. Yes, it's a challenge, but that's exactly the sort of place that God tends to move miraculously in. No need to be reticent, we can adopt An attitude of expectancy. There are extraordinary times that God has turned London upside down. One of the times was in 1740. You know, in 1740, only six people went to St. Paul's Cathedral on Easter Sunday. There were 280 crimes on the statute book you could be executed for, including stealing a loaf of bread. There were children of five working in the mines. The culture was falling apart. Even vicars were losing their faith. Commentators were saying, this is the generation in which the church will wither and die. And what happened was a relatively small number of people started to pray and intercede and cry out to God and preach the gospel with power and this city was transformed. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people encountered Jesus Christ. The city was turned upside down and it spread right across this nation, right across different nations of the world, transforming culture, transforming different areas of society. God moved powerfully. Don't look at God through the lens of your circumstances. Look at your circumstances through the lens of your mighty God. Yes, it's difficult at times. Yes, there are battles that need to be fought. But if the Lord is with us, all the rest is details. Your perspective matters far more than your circumstances. And then secondly, your calling matters far more than your credentials. What God calls you to is far more significant than how you see yourself. sometimes the challenges you face contain within them the calling you seek. Your calling is far too important. It matters far too much for you to hide or to take a step back out of fear. Gideon says God has abandoned us, but actually he's speaking to him face to face. Couldn't be closer. And he says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It kind of means brave warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I, the Lord, am sending you. Now, Gideon might not look like a mighty warrior. He's hiding in a cave in a wine press, He might not feel like a mighty warrior, but here's the thing. If God calls you a mighty warrior, you are a mighty warrior. It's that simple. When God speaks, the facts on the ground change. God spoke a word and the universe was formed. When God speaks, the fabric of the world resounds. How you feel is far less significant than what God says. When I started working as a barrister, I was actually only 22 years old, and I looked about 16. And um, I was a little bit self-conscious you know, about this, and uh, maybe felt a little bit insecure. And, and one of my first cases was in the Crown Court, and it was a trial of a 15-year-old who was alleged to have mugged someone on a bus. And now in the Crown Court, there are these kind of optional procedures whereby judges um, can say oh we're not we're not going to kind of wear you know wigs um, to make it less intimidating for these you know poor teenagers who are coming into the crown court and we're all going to take our wigs off but but you never really knew you know some judges loved changing the rules some judges hated changing the rules and it was completely their decision you had no way of knowing Um, and so on this particular case I'll just show you the um here we are the gown there's a wig found these lying around um, so there I am I'm in court I think I will put this on I don't get to wear it much these days and um so you know there I was in court I was kind of you know wearing my wig my gown and my wig was on ready to start uh, in in court and then I suddenly thought I suddenly thought I I don't know, maybe he's gonna ask us to take our wigs off I thought oh no that's not good like should it be like wig off or wig on wig off a wig on I was thinking about it I, think, I want to get it right I don't want to get this wrong it's like you know one of my first cases in the crown court I've got to get it right and, um, and then I thought it's much harder actually to put a wig on than it is to pull a wig off so I thought I'll just put a wig on I'll put the wig on and then I can just whip it off if I need to so I put my wig on and as I was doing this unbeknownst to me the defendant had walked in behind me into court and he was wearing a baseball cap and he had gone into the dock uh, just behind me which is the space at the back of court where defendants sit when they're on truck. You all know where it is. And he was sitting there behind me, and we were just waiting. And uh, then the judge's door swung open. And the judge walked in, and we all, we all rose. And he walked across, and then he stopped. He looked in my direction. And he said, young man, take that hat off. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Your Honor. And um, <laughs> I whipped my wig off. And then he looked at me, like, really confused, and said, Mr. Foster, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the defendant. I was like... (laughs) And then everyone in the court burst out laughing. (laughs) You want to make an impact in one of your first cases? That's not the impact you want to make. See, the thing was, I had studied. I had been trained by great people. I was literally wearing the gear. I had actually been called to the bar. The only person who was in any doubt about my calling in that courtroom was me. It was me. Gideon says to God, how can I? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. But you see, the thing is when he calls you, he calls you. God says, go in the strength you have. God is never surprised about you when he calls you. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your successes and your failures. He knows you to the bottom of your soul, and yet he loves you to the sky. Best believe when he calls you, he knows what he's getting when he calls you. And when he calls you, no one else can go but you. So it doesn't matter how strong or weak you feel. It doesn't matter your assessment of the suitability for the role. What matters is God calls you because when God calls you, that's it. What God says is definitive. And maybe you need to remind yourself of what God says about you, has said about you, speaks over you. What God speaks over those who've placed their trust in Jesus, that you're a child of God, a friend of Jesus. You're redeemed, forgiven, restored, bought at a price, set apart for a purpose, chosen, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece. And he calls you. Who God says you are is definitive. And if God says you're a mighty warrior, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to lead an army. God says, I am with you. I'm sending you. And it matters that God is with you and it matters that he sends you. You know, In times gone by, letters from a king or a queen would carry the mark, the impression of the king. They'd be sealed by the king. And if you're delivering that letter, it doesn't really matter who you are or what your qualifications are, what matters is that you're carrying something that has been sent with the authority of the king. God says he's gonna be with us, be with Gideon, be with you. Later in this chapter, Gideon, it it, it says the Holy Spirit Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Literally means clothed Gideon. You know, that makes a difference. Imagine if we actually believed this, if it got into us, You can go into work on Monday, you can say, oh, here we go, another week at work, that person's difficult, that project's complex, that boss is a nightmare. Why is the aircon too cold or too hot? That meeting's a bit dull. Or you can walk into work and you can say, I have been sent here by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I have been sent here on His Majesty's service. I come with his sending, with his anointing, with his appointing, with his authority, and I am clothed with power from on high. So everyone best washed out this week. You know, you walk into the meeting that you find a bit dull. I have been... I've been sent here. You walk into your family. I've been sent here. I've been commissioned. I'm here with a purpose. You come into church. You might feel like you've just, you've just come here. It's a bit random you're here. How did I end up here today? Actually, there's a purpose to your presence here. God has good things in store for you. He's got things he wants you to accomplish. It makes a difference when you know that you are sent and you know that you are clothed. Your calling is far more important than your credentials. And then finally, your obedience is far more important than your success. God is at pains to make sure Gideon knows this isn't primarily about him, his skill, his family, the size of his army. He actually whittles his army down massively. Why? Because he wants him to know that it's the Lord who's gonna do this. Why? Because if your confidence is based on your skill or your strength, you'll tend to forget God when you succeed Gideon's identity is given not earned Gideon's victories are going to be given not won Gideon's successes will be given not achieved when you realize it's by God's hand it gives you a great boldness you can be so brave yet it keeps you really humble can't claim the credit you can't steal the glory God knows if Gideon thinks he's doing it all by himself and wins great battles, he's going to become proud because your successes are actually harder to steward than your failures because in your failures, you tend to run after God whereas in your successes, you tend to forget God. But actually, before God asked Gideon to fight any battles in public, he asked him to deal with the idolatry in his own family. He says to him, there's, in your father's house, there's an, there's an altar to Baal. There's an Asherah pole. And Gideon knew that, and he says, "We well, you just destroy them. Destroy those altars to idols. And Gideon knew if he did that, he'd face opposition. He knew it'd be hard. You know, sometimes it's easier to take on an invading nation than challenge those who are close to you. But before you lead a people, you have to lead yourself. Before you change a city, you have to confront what's going on in your own heart. Great works of faith are founded on small acts of obedience, The most important battles Gideon fights are the one he fights in his own heart. And this one he wins. He chops down the Asherah pole. He steps out in faith, incurs opposition, and God releases his anointing on Gideon and he goes on to win a great public victory. But actually the second battle Gideon fights in his heart, he loses. You know, the victory seems to go to his head. He actually ends up making idol which becomes a snare to his family you see God might be calling you today to do great things for him to have a huge impact in your workplace in your family in your community maybe right across this city or this nation he can give you remarkable success favor sending you in his name and clothing you with his spirit what battles do you need to fight in your heart to guard yourself from the seduction of success takes as much bravery to face ourselves as it does to face an enemy. But it's not too late. Gideon falls. He messes up. But he's still described as a hero of the faith in Hebrews 11. He leads God's people into a time of peace for over 40 years. You might have resisted God's call. You might feel like you've messed up, made some mistakes, blown it. But is grace. We don't have to be perfect to be used by God because we know we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus, who knew exactly what it would cost us, cost him to win us freedom, yet came willingly. The only person who lived a completely holy life, who had a completely undivided heart, yet was willing to bear all the sin. Of the world, Who didn't take up a sword in battle, but laid down his life in sacrifice for me, for you. Conquering sin and death by his blood shed on the cross so that he might win us freedom and forgiveness and a glorious purpose and a wonderful future. And when you see him as he is, there's no place for pride because you're filled with gratitude. God has good purposes for your life. God is calling you today. Will you respond? Yes, the challenge is great, but he is with us. Yes, there are many opponents to be fought on the way, but he is sending us. Yes, we might feel inadequate, but he has called us and he is faithful. It matters too much to hide away there's too much at stake. Be bold, bet the farm, take risks and he'd see what he might do through your life in this church, this city and this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.